Is your community preparedness-minded? You don't want to miss this podcast. This is episode 770 of the Ready Your Future podcast, where I connect you with resources that will help you prepare for a better future. It's all about loving your people, getting prepared, and living free. Hey, I'm Todd Sepulveda, a regular guy living in the suburbs who understands the need to be better prepared for the future. Are you looking to up your preparedness knowledge? Don't spend time bouncing around the internet for the best preparedness content. Instead, sign up for the top preparedness articles and get them right in your email. For $5 a month, you can get the top preparedness articles from around the internet sent to your email weekly. You can choose to read them or drop them in the Pocket app and have them read to you as you go about your day. The Buy Me a Coffee link to the top preparedness articles is in the show notes. Hey everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Ready Your Future podcast. Hey, if you are interested in joining the exclusive email group, and I talk about it often, it is a great group of preppers who uh, maybe don't like all the social media and the tracking that you get on social media. Um, That was one of the reasons why I started it was how can we communicate in a way where we can share our ideas, but and, and do it easily, that's not necessarily social media, that's not necessarily a forum, and we came up with the exclusive email group. So I only open it up a couple of times in the year. Um, I'm going to open it up at the end of January. The best way to know when it is officially opened up is to sign up to be notified. So there will be a link in the show notes so that you can click on that. You can sign up and then I will let you know when it's uh, open and you can go click on the link and sign up and you can be a part of the group. So uh, look forward to that. Hey, I want to give a big shout out to the listeners in the Philippines. I uh, noticed that there are a lot of downloads there. And so I want to say thank you for listening. And I also want to give just some thoughts and, and prayers out to uh, my friends in California, you know, on the West Coast with all the, the crazy weather that you're experiencing over there right now. So uh, just thoughts and prayers, guys. Uh, you know, we all have our things that are going on and in crazy weather all over the place. Uh, we had some crazy thunderstorms here in, in, in my area last night, but uh, California is really getting hit hard. So a lot of prayers there. Hey, uh, we, I've been talking and sharing a little bit about little house in the big woods. And he's like, Todd, you're this old guy, right? Talking about, you know, you know Laura Ingalls and little house on the prairie and the stuff in the thing. And like I, I've shared a couple of weeks back about, you know, the reason why this kind of came up, decided to download the book on audible and start listening to it. And, you know, it's very interesting when you, when you just listen to it and you look at it from different eyes. I mean, it's been a long, long time since I had that book read to me. I mean, it was my fifth grade teacher when I was in elementary school and then listening to it now, it's just, you know, I I think it's really eye opening and it's, you know, good memories. But this chapter that I listened to this week was called The Long Rifle. And Laura Ingalls, as she's writing, goes through the way that her dad cleaned uh, his rifle, you know, after every uh, hunting trip that he went out into the woods. And uh, it was a black powder gun. So it was, you know, he had to go ahead and clear out that black powder from it. And so, I mean, it would probably make a lot of people cringe nowadays with the way that Pa cleans the rifle, but uh, he uses really, really hot water to go through the barrel. And then he's, you know, he has the, the patches or the, the, the cloth going through it, making sure that it is, it is nice and dry and then lubricating it and, and, and doing all of that. Right. And so you go through, you go through that and she will kind of walks you through it. The things that 
it's just kind of like, I guess you don't really think about it. Uh, you didn't, I didn't think about it back then when I was a kid. Cause I mean, I, I was around firearms. Um, but nowadays, I mean, you know, would this even be read in schools with the way people think? So for the whole process, the kids are right there. I mean, Laura Ingalls is writing it like, you know, her and her sister are right there, uh, right in the midst of it from the dad making the bullets, you know, uh, melting down the lead, uh, shaving off all the, the extra pieces from the mold and saving that lead for other bullets from that to cleaning the, the rifle to lubricating it. And then the last piece of that was the fact that it was loaded and above the door and ready to go. You know, it wasn't one of these things where, you know, you put the child safety locks on, you put it somewhere and uh, you, it's, it's so far down deep in the hole that you could never uh, have it, you know, if you really truly needed it. So I thought, you know, that's that's just such a big difference, you know, where kids were right there, right in the midst of it as uh, the cleaning was going on, as it was being loaded and, and all of that good stuff. So anyway, if you... Um, if that's something that you want to listen to, maybe it's something you want to read to your kids, Little House in the Big Woods. Uh, that's the first book in the Little House in the Prairie series. All right, so uh, let's move into the episode here. Uh, this is a roundtable with my good friends, uh, Mick Rowland and Brian Hawkins. We talked about building community with preparedness in mind. So we discussed if preppers are too isolated in their communities, talking about preparedness, and then some ideas about how you can spread the message of preparedness without giving away all that you have done to be better prepared. I mean, we all believe in operational security or OPSEC. Uh, we, we, we believe that. Some people take that to the extreme and never talk about preparedness. Others go ahead and talk about it openly. There needs to be that balance where you do talk about it, but you don't let everybody into your house and see the storeroom and see you know all the things that you have, right? So anyway, uh, this is a, a big deal. Now, I think people are prepared more than preppers. You know, those of us who, who are, I guess we would c consider ourselves, you know, quote unquote preppers. A lot of people don't like that term, but we are, you know, we live in the preparedness community. Let's just say we're members of the preparedness community. I had a conversation this last week with someone who was talking about getting better prepared and they know the, they know my podcast, they know, uh, you know, the website and, and all that kind of stuff. And so we were talking about it and I finally asked, you know, what was it that got you, you know, being a little bit more proactive in, in being prepared? I said, was it geopolitics? You know, was it, you know, all that kind of stuff. And it wasn't any of that. You know, it was, we noticed that there are things that are not always available. And she brought up a couple of things. There was uh, some food items that they really like and they really enjoy. And she mentioned that there was months where they didn't, they didn't have it. Right. And so that was one of the things. The other thing was, is that recently uh, the spouse got sick. And so she went to, uh, to Walgreens, you know, to the drugstore to get some medicine. And there wasn't anything on the shelf. And so that really got them thinking about the inventory side of things and creating inventory. I got to talk about my philosophy of, you know, doing it from, from a, a menu and not necessarily just stocking up on a bunch of food that you don't know, you know, you have no recipes or no way to cook it other than, okay, let's just kind of make something here and come up with it all the time. So I, I was able to share that. And then she also talked about, you know, tracking their meds and, and making sure that they're rotating it out. 
So I really do think more people than we realize are out there doing the preparedness thing. They just don't know what it's called. They don't know to call it preparedness. They don't know to call it you know, being a prepper, or maybe they don't want to call it all of that, but they realize how important it is, especially with what they're seeing there. I, I think at least people that are being a little bit more reflective and, and thinking about what's going on and, and they're seeing they're seeing the patterns, they're seeing the signs out there. The problem is there's a lot of people that don't, right? And they don't see the signs. They don't. They don't care about it. They've gone through. Uh, they've gone through. You know the shortages and all that kind of stuff. And we came up, came out successful on the other side. I believe we touch on this in in the um, in the roundtable. They they came out successful on the other side without you know really uh, losing out. You know and, and being in, in great great need. And so, I don't know. So there you go. I don't know. I wish we had really good numbers to be able to say people are preparing more, people are not. You know, going back to last week's episode with Paul Martin, um, you know, one of the things and the conclusions is like people aren't preparing, you know? And so, I don't know. I, I see people out there and maybe maybe I see it a little bit more because people know that I have the website and the podcast and they just talk to me a little bit more freely. I, I don't know. Um, hopefully we can help change that a little bit by being a little bit more forthcoming with, uh, being prepared and the need to be prepared. So, um, at the end of this episode, check out the show notes because I'm going to provide some links that you can click on for more information, right? And so, um, there's a, a link that Mick has shared. There's a link that Brian shares. There's a link that I've shared. And then also, I want to call your attention to an email challenge called the five days to build your own prepper group. And that's something that I created a while back, but it's still very relevant. And I want to bring that up, especially in this episode. So once you sign up for this one, you will get a series of five emails with a short video on ideas on how to build your own group. All right. So all the links will be in the description of this episode. So with that, let's go ahead and get to the round table. Hey everyone, welcome to another Ready Your Future Roundtable with my good friends Mick Rowland and Brian Hawkins. Uh, it's always good to be able to hang out with these guys and talk about a little bit about preparedness. So last time we were together, we talked. Uh, you know, one of the, one of the things that we were going to talk about that Mick was going to talk about. He mentioned um, that he had been in the process of working with this church and his pastor of raising a pig, and that they were going to use that to. Uh, you know, they were going to slaughter it and they were going to have, you know, meat in, in the freezer in all the different ways that Mick has, has made uh, meat out of that. And uh, all the different ways that he's, he's uh, saved that, you know, to, to, for long-term storage, I guess, maybe, I don't know if it's bacon, it's going to be short-term storage maybe. But anyway, I, as we were doing that, I was like, okay, there's, there's something here that we can talk a little bit about more about community because it was involving the church and it was something that I know that I had shared way, way long time ago uh, about even before I think the podcast. And so I was like, let's let's do a uh, another one, another roundtable on community. And I think that's something that's always important. In fact, being in the preparedness community, that's something that everyone has always wanted to hear more about. How do we connect with other preppers? And so before we jump into that, though, I just wanted to check in. Let's check in with Mick and, and Brian and Let's see what you guys have been doing since the last time that we got together. Mick, what, what about you? What have you been doing since the last episode? Well, uh, the usual, still recording chapters of book four for the podcast. And I've been trying to push myself to write as opposed to just consume. So 
I've got the uh, first chapter of book six written, at least in a draft form. So it's kind of like uh, New Year's Eve resolution exercise. You just have to get up and start. I mean, the, the more you think about it, the less you do it. So I've uh, been trying to push myself into actually writing instead of thinking about it. Do you have a, a setup like, you know, you hear about other uh, authors, like they have a some kind of way that they do it. They set it up in the morning or whatever. You get up first thing in the morning, start pounding away at the keyboard, or is it just whenever you have some free time? It's more like that because there's just plenty of other chores and things to tend to. And sometimes my time gets scheduled for me. So I uh, just have to work with it. Yeah. All right. I, I hear you on that. Um, Brian, what about you? What have you been doing since the last roundtable? I'm doing a lot more writing, and uh, but not for a book, for my blog. So about 4 o'clock this morning, I finished up a I don't know, 32 or 3,400 word article. It was going a little long, so it's going to be a two-parter. <laughs> so, but yeah, doing a lot, a lot more of that. I've, <laughs> I've set up all my audio equipment in my, my new office slash studio slash gear room. And... Um, I can't get that figured out right now, so it's a little bit complicated. It's it's a bunch of podcasting equipment that I need to figure out how to get set up and where it actually works. Whether or not that's going to form into a podcast this year, I'm not sure, but it, it comes in handy with video as well. So I've got some new mics and stuff, and I'm going to uh, start getting back into some video content on the blog and everything and on the YouTubes. That sounds good. I, I know that I've been writing a little bit more, at least during this you know break that we've had, this Christmas break. And uh, I've got a couple of um, ideas and articles in the pipeline and uh, you know ready to re- release a longer one that I wrote here tomorrow. Uh, but also the same thing with video. I did uh, have a couple of ideas with some videos and, and ways to do it. Um, and so I just, um, put one out there and had a little, you know, had some good response. So I think I might try a little bit more of that as we go, but like, like everybody else is, is, is saying it's the time thing. It's, you know, finding the time to do it. I think sometimes we, we see people that are out there doing and creating content, whether it's the preparedness community with, you know, the big YouTube channels and and things like that, or whether it's, you know, somebody else and they do it full time. So it's it's uh, it's one of those things where you wind up doing it and you really do you're doing it because you want to help other people get better prepared. So um all right cool. Let's go ahead and move into the topic and the first question that I wanted to to bring up is this idea of prepper isolation. Um I think that I mean that's something that I have noticed since the very beginning when I started into preparedness, even before I started Prepper website years ago, um, I just, I, I guess I couldn't really understand it. I mean, I, I understand it. I know why people do it, but at the same time, I've always understood that you can't be a lone ranger. You can't do it out there. It, it just doesn't, it just doesn't wind up working, but I wanted to get your take on it. Your ideas uh, are preppers too isolated. Why or why not? And uh, Mick, we'll start off with you. Well, without any hesitation, I'd say yes. And I'd say 90% of it or more is self-inflicted. So they're not isolated and it's not a woe is me, what happened, it's it's self-inflicted. And I, when I got into the uh, the prepper world, you know, that was one of the earliest things that gets preached at you is don't tell anybody about your preps or the zombies are going to come try to steal it. 
And <clears throat> it just seems to be part of prepper culture is that notion of, uh, I don't know if it's almost like a mythology that, uh, that your neighbors are, are going to come pounding down your door and try to, you know, roll a, a burning wagon under your side of your house to flush you out like the Indians used to and steal all your stuff. Uh, I think that notion gets kind of reinforced in prepper fiction. Uh, I, because I'm trying to write it, I don't have a whole lot of time to consume it. But over the break here, I was using up some uh, audible credits and listening to some obviously pretty well established or at least well rated prepper authors. And, you know, I ran into two instances of those in the stories where the, uh, the protagonist made the mistake of sharing a one egg with somebody, you know, a, a starving child. And then pretty soon all of the uh, starving neighbors wearing rags are pounding down his door to get what his food was. And in another one, it was a family that were uh, not doing good OPSEC because they were running their generator and they were the only people with lights and food because the dad was kind of a prepper. And sure enough, the angry uh, criminal gangs all come in the stormy night and you know, attack the house to get their stuff. And I thought, well, does that really happen? Or would that really happen? Or is that just kind of prepper lore that gets passed on and reinforced in fiction so that everybody just believes it's true? So I've had to take kind of a step back and kind of wonder, would they really? I mean, if they're your neighbors, they're not going away. So if you gave them an egg, they probably would come back because they live just right over there. But, you know, is it is word going to go through the uh, starving victim grapevine that you're the one that's got canned tuna and they're all going to show up and raid you? I don't know. I have to, I'm kind of wondering now if that's exaggerated and it's become kind of a a mythic lore thing. Uh, I, did, I had, over Christmas, I had sort of, re, or, well, I'll just say discovered, not rediscovered, that there was uh, kind of an alpine area in Europe, uh, Christmas tradition legend of a character called Krampus. Ever heard of him? I, I he, think I've heard of that one. He's like uh, the evil anti-Santa, and both he and St. Nicholas go door to door, and he's kind of a obviously demonic devil-like character, and he actually steals the bad children. Sometimes he gives them coal, sometimes he just steals them. So, uh, you know, it's the legend of Krampus becomes this sort of boogeyman that scare children. And so I kind of wonder, is the uh, the hungry horde, they're going to beat your door down because they know you've got a rack of food? Is that just the prepper Krampus? So I don't know. I'm, I'm not convinced. Yeah, I, I, um, I kind of, I kind of hear you there. The prepper Krampus. That's a good, that's a good one. We're going to have to use that one uh, somehow in the future. That's uh, I think that's a, that's an article, the prepper Krampus. Brian, what about you? Let me kick it over to you. Do you think that preppers are a little too isolated? Yeah. And I think, uh, I think a big part of that is just what Mick said there. We've gotten a little bit uh, afraid, I guess you could say. So part of it is we're, like you said, where it's self-inflicted, we do isolate even to the point to where we'll move away from people. And I think that's a smart thing, actually, getting out of the city and going out into the country and that. But then we want to try to stay closed off from community. 
And if you're really lucky and get into a real isolated place, you don't even have to do that on purpose because you may be, you know, a mile or two from your nearest neighbor. But still, you can still be neighborly. Um, but like you said, it's uh, it's trying to build a community and try to hide everything you have. So it's, it's a little fine balance there that we have with our lone wolf mentality. And a lot of it is, seems just like Mick said, it's, it's uh, part of that fictional character type of thing that we go with. We've got like internet and everything. They, we can probably easily be found right now. But if in that type of situation where there's no internet and phones and maybe no electricity and that type of thing, somehow everybody's going to magically know who we are and exactly where we're at and have the ability to get here and then forcefully take what's our, it's, it's really a lot of, uh, a lot of imagination, I think on our part as, as, as preppers. And, and I, and I do believe that, uh, I, I, I believe that it's uh, unwarranted short of the, like Mick said, the fictional. I have over 300 books, including Mick's there, in my uh, Audible collection and then dozens of uh, books on um, my Kindle app. And I've read most of those. So, yeah, I've, I've, I've fallen prey to it myself. You know, I've, I, I, I have the same issue as you guys where we're also trying to become more public, you know, showing everything online or showing a lot of what we have online. And that's kind of like, uh, you know, double-edged sword there where we, we, we don't have the luxury of, you know, hiding everything behind a, a, a huge fence when we're bringing the world into our homes. So there's that. Well, that's why you just have a brick wall in your background instead of a pantry. Yeah, that's why I keep my pantry back there. <laughs> and there's a secret door to get to it. So when they do show up here to get everything, good luck on figuring out the code to that door. You can't even find it. You're just going to leave the hominy and stuff behind for them so that they can they can grab that, right? Those big number 10 cans that I bought with all the green beans and the corn, that's what I'm going to give away to them to ask them to leave. Oh man! That's so Brian, with all the uh, prepper fiction that you'd read, maybe you'd notice something that I had noticed is that in fiction, the hungry hordes that come beating on the doors seem remarkably strong and well-fed. So the idea that there's these people who are so hungry that they're desperate and they'll do any sort of evil deed to get a can of hominy, in the fiction, they all turn out to be rather strong and robust. I think those aren't starving people. You know, like with the notion of the golden horde that this uh, wave of humanity is going to come pouring out of the city. And I thought, well, by the time they get to my place, they ought to be exhausted and starving. I can't see them being strong enough to find a, a wagon to fill with hay and roll it burning against my house. So I don't know. There's some inherent contradictions in the mythology. Well, I think I think there's it's like Hollywood, right? But now we're doing it on, you know, Audible or audio content in it and books where if we told the truth, the way things really are, it would be pretty boring. Nobody would, nobody would read it. So <laughs> you kind of have to go. With, I mean, they're very interesting books and it, and it, it is something where we have to be able to mentally divide 
reality and fiction. And I think as a lot of preppers, we, it's, it's a rom- I, I hate to say this, but it's like a romantic view of, of the world and it's not really the world we live in. And I highly doubt that it would be. I think a lot of people would be out there helping. We've already seen that in the past when we've had the riots in the 9-11 and, and all the, you know, the hurricanes and everything. Everybody comes together. And it's really shocking and how much, how, how things change when the chips are down. I mean, just, I mean, nobody was even getting tickets after 9-11, uh, you know, if, if you guys remember that. I mean, everybody felt it. And if, you know, I, I understand that if your kid is starving, you're going to do what you have to do to, to feed your child. But I don't think, I think there's a limit to what most people will do. And I don't really believe that, uh, like you said, that it's not just their strength, but their, uh, their ability to, to get a big horde of people willing to converge on an innocent family and take, take what's theirs and, and, and do all the harm and, and stuff that would be involved with that. I just don't, I just don't see that, but that might be just be me. So the you know the idea of the golden horde. I remember reading that in in James Wesley Rawls's book um, Patriots, right? Uh, and I you know I, I've heard it come from from there. The idea is that, and for those that are that are listening and maybe new to preparedness and have never heard the idea of the golden horde, um, the idea is that everybody that lives in the cities that they've run out of food, they've run out of everything that they need. So everyone decides all at one time, like, hey, we're going to head out to the country because in the country there are animals, in the country there are, you know, uh, people have farms and ranches and all that kind of stuff. And so you have this big group of people, kind of like, you know, when you watch The Walking Dead and you see these zombies all walking together, it's kind of, it's, it's kind of that idea. And I think that was a good point that do we, do, you know, would we ever see something like that? Everybody, you know, deciding all at one time, hey, uh, there's no more food here in the city. So let's everybody, let's all get together and, and head out to head out to the to the rural areas and find something to eat. You know, I just I don't know if that ever I don't know if that's ever been a time in modern day history uh, to do something like that. And of course, what we're talking about is something that would be you know, very rare in modern day history. It's a, it's a time period that we've never, ever experienced if it was a true, uh, you know, the end of the world as we know it kind of situation. But I do believe that preppers are isolated, too isolated. And so let me say that uh, somewhere the idea, like I've all mentioned, this idea of, uh, you know, you, you can't tell, you got to be secretive about all your preps has been planted in their heads, whether it's pre- prepper fiction, whether it's articles, whether it's videos, and, uh, you know, oh, my gosh, the videos, uh, there are big channels out there that do the sensational videos. It's like the world's going to end today or I heard this today and this is going to happen. And it's like, you know, you have all these things that, you know, the world should have ended a long time ago and, and, and nothing ever ha- happens. But think about it. It's, it's really weird. It's like preparedness and s- supplies, food storage, water, gear, whatever you want to say here. It's like that's the only thing that we think about when we have something extra that that would be a reason for somebody to come and, and, and get. So like we never hear people say, Oh, I'm worried about people coming and taking my books. People know that I'm a big reader and I have a lot of books on my bookshelf. And so, you know, the golden horde is going to come take my books. You never hear about 
uh, hey, I've got a lot of flowers and the Golden Horde is looking for flowers or people are looking for flowers. They're going to come and take my flowers, you know, in, in, in my front yard, in my landscape. Or you never hear about people talking about, um, you know, hey, I have extra cars, <laughs> you know, uh, I had extra cars in my driveway and one hasn't been moving for a while, but, you know, someone needs a car, so they're going to come take it. And I know this kind of being facetious there, but it, it only seems to be like this idea of uh, prepper supplies and food and stuff like that is the thing that's always going to be the thing that people are always going to come after. When in reality, I mean, if if it would be everything, you know, it, it could be anything in, in, in life. And of course, there's always bad people. There's always bad people looking to do bad things. We saw that in the riots. We saw that in the looting. Uh, I think we even just saw that recently up in Buffalo with uh, the freeze that they had up there. People were using the freeze and and being without power and all that kind of stuff to use that as an excuse to loot. So you're always going to have a segment of the population that's ready to do that, um, especially if there's no police officers, if there's no you know law in in mind to be able to to uh, to combat that. But I don't, I don't think that's the majority of people. I go back to the, when we were in the height of the pandemic, right. And, and we were there and I had, I had, I've been very vocal about this. I texted a lot of my friends, a lot of the people that I worked with in the past. And I said, and I, and I told them, I said, Hey, uh, you need to go and you need to prepare a little bit, you know, go get some food, some hygiene items. And if you don't need them, no big deal. You'll you'll just use them. You don't have to go to the grocery store as, as often. But if you do need them, you're going to be appreciative. And when everything went down, a, a, most of those people did do that. Um, they did go and they did prepare. And I got a lot of text messages from people, you know, appreciative of the heads up. But I never had anybody during that time say, Todd, I am having a horrible time finding toilet paper. I'm having a bad time finding this. I'm having a bad time finding this. Uh, do you have any extra? I never had anybody doing that. I mean, you would hear about it on social media. People would do different, you know, write different things. Hey, I can't find this. I can't find that. Um, recently, we saw that with uh, even with the the infant formula that was was shortage, and that was that wasn't even during really the pandemic. That was after everything was kind of opening up. We you would see news reports, and I would uh, read articles, you know, on or post on po- social media. And then people were more helpful, you know, so so and so would say, hey, my daughter can't find a formula for my child. We need a special kind. And then what you would have is other people would go and look at the stores and say, hey, I found some at whatever store you can drop by my house and, and, you know, you can pay me for them or whatever. Or I know that this store has it or whatever. You saw a lot of that going on. So I think we need to be careful. I mean, Yes, yes, and no. Yes, we're too isolated. Um, and we still have to be careful just because you want to help other people and just because you want to get the word out doesn't mean you need to open up the pantry and, and let everybody see everything that you have. Uh, right. I mean, you can, you can still be, uh, helpful. You can still be out there and still, uh, help people and tell other people what, you know, give, give ideas of what they need to do without giving everything up. And so um, I think the the benefit of being a little bit more open about preparedness or, or being a little bit more open about preparedness is a bigger benefit 
so that you can build that community with people that you know instead of or versus being so isolated and just keeping everything to you and your your family. And then when the poop hits the fan, it's just y'all, you know, going after the world. All right. So that was that was long there to uh to move into the next question here. So what are what are ways that preppers can build their community? And so if we if we believe that we're too isolated and we need to, we understand that building a community or if we were in a true SHTF situation, that it would be better for a community to go through that together than uh, trying to do, you know, go it yourself. And I, I go back to mixed books, you know, that's kind of what happens in in their their city, you know, the people start banding together and they start coming up with ideas and people start working and bartering and all those different kinds of things. Eventually you find that in the, you know, the prepper fiction, the prepper books that we were, we were going to, that we were talking about. So a little bit of background before we jump into this and I kick it over to Brian. Uh, like I mentioned earlier, when we had our last round table, Mick had shared a little bit about raising a pig for meat and other ways that the church was reaching their community and other ways that they, that they were getting out there. And it was ministry, it was outreach, but at the same time, it was preparedness. And so um, I wanted to kind of bounce off of that idea. And then what are some other ways that we can build community? So Brian, I'm going to just kick it over to you and let you go for it. Yeah, I I think that's uh, that's a good point with the, with the church and um, physically gathering in a location rather than everybody being behind a screen. So um, what, what Mick's got going on with uh, you, you, you start doing projects together, you start to not only to build a bond there, but to get to know one another too. So I have, I, I imagine Mick has a pretty good idea on that group in his church on who he would trust and who he may be reluctant to trust. And I think those offline environments are probably ideal for building community because we can do it all day long online and meet, you know, people hundreds or thousands of miles away. But, you know, when, when we need to come together locally, that's not going to work. So we have to get out of the house and we don't necessarily have to go with a, I'm a prepper t-shirt, you know, and, and, and shake hands and hand cards. Although I do that all the time. I try never to leave without those type of um, promotional type of uh, uh, wear and, and, and promotional products and stuff. But that's because we're in a different lifestyle here with online. But we can't just stay online. We have to get out there. And it's not, it's not only churches, but, you know, like uh, community events, arts and crafts, that type of any kind of everybody has interests. And if you, um, find interests related to the prepper community that might even benefit a lot too. I, I noticed that that meetup.com fell by the wayside during the pandemic because nobody was gathering at the time, but it, it's coming back up. I just, I've been keeping an eye out on it and you can find, uh, it depends on where you're at, but in my, my area, I can find foraging, um, camping, cooking, all types of um, events. Some of them cost a few dollars, you know, because these are people that just set up a thing and, you know, at their own expense, and they might want 3 or $5 or $20 or whatever to attend it. And a lot of it involves classes and that, but it's also a lot of networking and all that kind of thing. 
and um, all the uh, all the successful like what, what were they called uh, those pyramid things um, network marketing and all that I think that's they 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 realized that early on way back in the early 80s as far it was when I started looking into that type of thing and they'd always have their little conventions or get-togethers and meetups and all that and that's because it brings that community together and and sharing ideas and 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 helping inspire one another and and that type of thing is kind of dwindling away with everything being on facebook and and uh you know on their screen screen times and I, i've got a couple others here i don't i don't want to make this like a promotional type thing because i i have i don't i'm not getting paid for any of this but the meetup.com there's probably other ones too i didn't really do a lot of look um one of the the original podcasts from that pod father um adam curry he's got a no agenda podcast and i noticed that they have quite a community they've built all over the country or actually all over the world where they just go there celebrating their uh their 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 podcast listeners and, and, and they'll set up groups and parties now it's a little bit different than our community you know that's a little bit more wild like bar type of thing but i mean it could be done and then uh uh that prepper i just actually i just sent an email this morning i've seen that their their tickets are on holiday special right now when it's going off is that it's a pretty big one um oh the prepper camp at, at preppercamp.com that's i think that, i believe that's in the mountains in north carolina i actually bought tickets to that one uh just before the covid and didn't go but the um people go all over the world and uh, not all over from all over the world but from all over the country and and meet there for a weekend and that's really not expensive but you have to take care of your own travel and travel expenses and they have a campground that you can set up in there and everything but something like that if you could form your vacation into something like that 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 might help of course that's not probably going to be local for you and we're probably wanting to do a local and i'm almost done here sorry i go a little long i never say the least that's my goal so um i've i've, I've registered a domain called the the prepper pantry no the prepper party dot com and it's it's not ready yet so don't everybody go to it but i'm trying to form a directory of events kind of like those meetups and all that type of thing in the prepper camp to where people would be able to go into the website which they can't do right now so don't try it but you'd be able to go into there and register your event or your meetup and your gathering big or small you know five people meeting at a you know a coffee shop would be just fine for that and then try to promote your event your local event to your community and uh, that's the idea behind that whether to take off or not i have no idea but it's worth a shot so that's about what i've got there i, I think people will look, look to that you know definitely i i think what i've i have found is that people are wanting to meet but they're not wanting to set it up. They're not willing to take the step of leading it, right? So maybe you need to have some encouragement along those lines, Brian. So maybe some ways of how to set things up to uh, to help people feel a little bit more confident in putting together uh, a group. 
I know that we did that early on in the podcast. I did that here in Houston and we met a couple of different times with different people. And uh, it was fun. I mean, at one point we met at a, at a barbecue place and we just ate and talked. And then another time I, we met at an IHOP. I haven't done it in a long, long time, but uh, I, I know that there's people in the exclusive emo group that live in Houston as well. So maybe that's something that we need to do here in the, in the future. Mick, um, I know that you're going to talk a little bit about the church and the setup and, and just some ideas there. I want to go ahead and kick it over to you. Well, one of the things that <clears throat> I've heard of before, you know, years before even, is that uh, preppers would get together occasionally and they'd do a little meetup and they'd sort of form a little group and they'd say, well, we're a little mutual assistance group and uh, they'd meet a couple of times. But pretty typically after a few meetings and maybe a year's time lapse, they all just kind of dissolved and went their separate ways and didn't have anything to do with each other. And I think part of that problem is that they really didn't have anything in common other than the prepping. And, you know, if the world doesn't end in a year, well, then, you know, you kind of didn't really need to keep doing it. So their motivation was kind of on the thin side. And what I had found, I mean, it's not like I did it by design, but what I had found was that uh, working through the church has been a lot more successful and I think that's because it was a pre-existing group that already had a reason to exist and they already had mutual interests and philosophies, et cetera, so that there was already group cohesion to start with and a reason to exist beyond prepping. And then you add prepping to it so that they become a group that are also preppers as opposed to a group of preppers, if you know what I mean. Mm -hmm. And in uh, in my case, it was sort of a slow evolution of uh, the church becoming uh, a little more of a prepper group. I wouldn't say hardcore, like we go around in camo and call each other colonel all the time. <laughs> but uh, it started, uh, I guess I'm going to say it started several years ago when uh, for uh, September, which is preparedness month from FEMA, that I was doing a series of uh, adult Sunday schools talking about preparedness in the Bible, like Joseph, et cetera, and uh, how it's only good stewardship to make sure that you're taking care of the people you're responsible for. And uh, sort of the uh, the amusing takeaway that everybody remembered, and I thought, that, I just threw that out there, but everybody's remembered it for years, is get a can of, uh, or have cans of canned gravy on your shelf. Because if you put a little gravy on something, almost anything is edible. <laughs> and for some reason, that's what they remembered. Uh, but it's turned out to be a really good place to uh, to sort of work on the prepping because there's already people who know each other. And there's a level of trust, which is, I think, an important key. I think, Brian, you had mentioned that people that you you think you can trust. If you've already got an existing group and they have some other reason to exist, You've already got a foundation for that. And even then, uh, there's still going to be people who are more into it and less into it within the group. And if you've got another reason to exist, well, then it sort of doesn't matter if they're not that interested. I mean, if you've got a prepper group and one of them's not interested, well, that's they kind of have no reason to be there. But in the case of my church, it helps that the pastor is keen on the idea of prepping. Now, he's not a super prepper, but, you know, he's got his wood stove and he's got his uh, his food put away and he's a hunter as well. And uh, 
uh, I'm afraid I sort of keep poking him. So I, I kind of keep pushing his preparedness because now he's talking about wanting to do a, a shallow well on his property so that he'll have a non-power water source. I mean, I want to say I told you so, but I was nagging him that when they were building the house because they said, you got a spring going right by the side of the house. Why fill it in? You know, put some uh, concrete tubes on top of that and and have a shallow well. They didn't do it. So now he's got to do it the hard way. But whatever. I'm not going to say I told you so. But anyway, it helps to have a pastor that likes the idea and is encouraging of it because then you can do a lot more. I have a friend who's wife's church he doesn't attend it but she does the uh the head of the church wants nothing to do with anything like that it's kind of an ostrich with head in sand uh approach to life uh you know security preparedness all that he's he's got a denial shield up that if i just pretend it's never going to happen then i don't have to think about it and it won't happen so uh that's an amazing power if you've got it but i suspect he doesn't but anyway uh having the church sort of grow into preparedness has been useful. I mean, I've been kind of surprised when you talk about the topics and uh, just discuss the sort of realities of uh, an unstable world. COVID certainly did that. It sort of woke everybody up to the fact that, well, you know, that the store might not always have the stuff you want. And then what are you going to do? That uh, it got, it exposed quite a few people in the church that I wouldn't have thought of as being preppers or closet preppers. Again, with that OPSEC thing, they may all be preppers and just nobody's telling anybody. But uh, I was surprised how many people were really on board with the idea. Well, Mick, plus yeah. you, you've got like um, a community where I'm assuming that where you live from your background there with all those woods, that you have a... Uh, a lot of people that would we would consider to be preppers, and they're just this just lifestyle for them, right? So you probably have a lot of more self-sufficient or self-reliant community than say you know some of us that like close to Detroit or something. So, but more of a mindset, I think that's what you're saying, Brian. Yeah. So I'm well, it's I, certainly more of a fertile ground for that because it is uh, semi-rural, quasi-suburban for where people live. You have more of an option to do that, whereas if you're, you know, cheek by jowl in a suburb, you know, nobody's saying, "Hey, maybe I should raise sheep," because that's just not going to come up. Right. But the uh, the the CSA pig thing was kind of uh, moving things up a notch. That on the church's property there was a place that could house pigs, and the pastor had talked about it for a few years. That he thought, eh, I should get some pigs because. You could uh, make your, I mean, he hunts every year. He gets a deer at least. And so he's used to uh, processing his own meat. And he thought, well, I could do a pig. Well, he sort of changed his mind after doing some. But, well, now he can't say he can't because he can. But it was a, it was different. But anyway, so I kind of goaded him into uh, the idea of doing pigs. And that's worked out rather interesting. That uh, we had one of the church families, they were raising uh, sheep for meat on their property because they're even more remote than I am. And so uh, they traded they said, well, we'll raise some sheep and we'll trade you some, uh, some lamb meat for uh, a side of, uh, for a half a pig. And so there was kind of bartering back and forth. And I just used money. I just bought a half a pig, but it was still kind of a, 
a DIY meat processing experience. So just to kind of summarize and not go long like some people, that I think it helps to uh, start with a group that's already got a reason to exist. And even if the prepping falls away, there's still a group and just add prepping to it. I agree. Um, I agree, Mech. And I think we're all on the same page there because we realize that just being a prepper is not going to be enough to get us through. Um, part of that is the fact that we've always been preparing. I mean, we've been preparing for all these years for something to happen and no nothing has happened. People get older, people find themselves in different uh, stages of life. Um, you might start it when, you know, a prepper group when you have kids and then the kids get older and then that will want nothing to do with it. Uh, blah, blah, blah. I mean, all those different kinds of scenarios play into it. But when you come from a place where everyone has the same values, like you said, Mick, that that is the foundation. And then the preparedness is kind of added on to that. And so uh, I, I think that's really, really important. Uh, I would say, because I've had kids and now my kids are grown, but sometimes there are like the kids when they would they would have like a they were they were playing soccer or they were playing football or they were involved in some other kind of group uh maybe even boy scouts those those groups would have been better to start off with uh you know like hey gathering those people together and then adding preparedness onto that than starting out with uh you just putting an ad in the paper looking for people who want to be uh, you know, being a prepper group because those people have something in common, right? You have the soccer in common, you have the football in common, you have uh cheer. If you're, if your kids do cheer, um, you have boy scouts in common, right? That would be, I think that would be an easy one to kind of boy scouts, girl scouts, uh, cub scouts to, to kind of do. So I, I think it'd be easier to find something where everyone has something in, in common and the values are the same. And then you start to add on preparedness, um, and I think a little bit, you know, when you come at it from the point of view that, you know, you're not ready to start hunting zombies, you're not, you're not, you know, Mad Max isn't your favorite movie in the world and you're hoping for that kind of world. When you're just talking about wanting to be better prepared for life's uncertainties and there's a lot of craziness in the world right now, I think people are a little bit more open to it. It's exactly what, what Mick found. Um, James Walton of, uh, he owns, the Prepper Broadcasting Network. I had him on the podcast a couple of years ago. He wrote a book called uh, Come Unity. And um, so not community, but come and then the word unity. He talked about a couple of different ways to build community in your in your area because that was important. He talked about community gardens. He talked about neighborhood watches. And I think that is, you know, those types of things would be a way to get people together and you start talking about, you know, you do a neighborhood watch and you get people involved with that. You start talking about crime and the reason for that. Um, and then, Hey, the craziness in this world. And it's really easy to kind of have those, um, those roots kind of go out from there and lead into preparedness. Or you start talking about gardening and you have an extra, you know, you have a big, uh, crop of tomatoes, you know, what do you do? Well, you start canning those. Okay. Well, and that leads into food storage, you know, and it's just really easy to bounce off of those to be able to talk about preparedness in, in a deeper way. Um, just like if, if we were to use mix example of the church, um, 
I think that can be, this is something that I know that I've talked about in the past and I try to go back to find where it was, whether it was a podcast, a video, an article, I could not find it. And I've done a really bad job of just keeping up with, with things like this. But I know in the past I've talked about one of the things that, that people always ask me is like, Hey, I'm disabled. How can I form a prepper group? Nobody wants me in their prepper group. My thing is start teaching classes, start teaching classes and bounce off of this idea of, uh, you know, what, what Mick has has shared there uh, from the church and start teaching classes somewhere. So whether that is, you know, you do it in a civic uh, building, you know, going back to what Brian said about meetup, that was one of the first entry points to the preparedness community for me. Cause when I started getting interested, I went to meetup.com and there was a, a group that was forming in the first meeting with, I mean, there's a lot of people there and we met in a, like a County office, right. Or building. And you could just, you know, you could say, Hey, I w- I'd like to use this, this room here for a meeting. And then if no one was using it, you could, you could sign up for it. So, you know, use uh, a building like that, you, you know, the YMCA, um, you know, offer classes at church where you're offering some basic things, whether it's gardening, whether it's uh, uh, whether it's it's canning, uh, maybe it's basic preparedness for winter time, um, you know, things that, that you can set up there, hurricane season, whatever it might be. You start offering these uh these classes and you start building relationships with the people that that start coming, um, I think you can easily build a group from there. So going back to the people that always say, I'm disabled, I, I can't form a group, nobody wants me in the group. If you were the person who was starting that and you were offering those classes, then people would look at you as that expert and would want you to be part of that group. You could, you could build off of that. And so, I, you know, we can go into a lot more detail there, but I think that's the idea. We actually have someone in the exclusive email group. I won't mention her name, but they live in, in a rural setting and uh, she's done this. She's offered classes and she had a very great turnover turnout uh, of people who are wanting to know more, you know, uh, and wanting to get information. And so she's taught classes. People were coming. I don't know if she's still doing that. But I think that that is a way to to start meeting people that are like-minded. You don't have to, you know, when you do something like that, you don't have to tell them, hey, I've got a year's worth of food in my in my pantry or I have a, you know, I'm, I'm you know, I've got generators that, you know, enough fuel for generators that would last me three months or whatever. You don't, you don't need to share stuff like that, but you are finding people, you're getting to know them and you can start to build that relationship with them and maybe bring them into your inner circle at that point. So I think there's a lot of options out there on building your community when it comes to it. Um, I, I just hope that people will do it. The thing that I think is the block for a lot of people is just starting, is just starting it because they know that they need, they're, they're wanting they're wanting someone else to do it and then they want to join in with it. And if you if you don't find a group already in your area, then I think it's it's something that you should wind up doing, you know, and starting out with doing some classes. You don't have to do full on crazy classes. You know, you can do a 45 minute class and then have, you know, go out to eat afterwards and get to meet people. Uh, I think, I think that would be a great idea. So um, let's go ahead and start winding down here. Um, I wanted to just have this, you know, 
this last little bit here, just a quick idea, a thought, how to reach others or how to reach out in your neighborhood if there's somebody that you want to get to know better. You know, how can you specifically in your neighborhood, in your area? And I want to bounce off of, we have another member, and I, I don't think you would have a problem with me saying his name, Jeff, who has uh, done a lot of work out in his community. And he has started volunteering. And I, I can't remember the specific, maybe one of y'all remember the specific uh, group that he was involved in. I don't think it was just the homeowners association. Maybe it is, but you can easily volunteer. I know my homeowners association is always asking for people to volunteer. Uh, they're always asking for people to, to help out. And they're trying to do things like, you know, people have moved into the neighborhood and uh, my, my neighborhood's an older one, but it's had a tradition. Like for instance, uh, July the 4th, they have a big parade. Um, they have different things going on. They'll have like a, a bazaar, you know, in, in the, uh, uh, back in the, in the back where we have our clubhouse. And so people come from all over to put up tables and sell things at their little, you know, craft show or craft bazaar or whatever it might be. And so they're always asking for people to volunteer. I think that's an easy way to start to get to know people when you do that. Yes, it does take some time. Yes, you get out there. Yes, you have to have some conversations. But I think that's an easy way of doing it, you know, with your homeowners association. My, my neighborhood has a, a neighborhood newsletter. They're always asking for volunteers to drop off. It's like an old school newsletter where they, they actually bring it to your door and drop it off at your at your front door. And they're always asking for people, you know, on streets. It's like, hey, we don't have someone that can distribute on this street. You know, is there anyone out there? And so getting involved with that. And then I have a pretty um, active neighborhood Facebook group and the next door app. Oh my gosh, the next door app is like, you know, you can you can get on that. You can read everybody's tea on that. I mean, if you ever wanted some entertainment, just get on there and, and, and scroll. I mean, it's kind of funny, but the Facebook group, there's a lot of people always helping out. Um, I have found on that group people to like, when I needed a plumber, we've got recommendations there. When I needed other ideas, recommendations, uh, it's just a really good group and everyone's helping out. And so I think, I know in the prepper community, we don't like our social medias and things like that. I think you still need to be very, very careful about that. But I have found that to be very useful and something that would be um, would be worth it to me to to continue on there. Um, I wanted to bring up one other thing because, and, and I know that I shared this before, but National Night Out would be a really great opportunity to reach out to your neighbors and uh, national night out. I mean, there is a, there is a website for this, right? It's natw.org. And I'm going to have a lot of links for you in the description uh, in the show notes. So you can go check that out, but uh, it's the first Tuesday in August and you can set, set something up where maybe you have a, maybe you do some hot dogs and you invite your neighbors to come out. I've noticed on that night, that there's not a lot of people that that do come out. But if you were a little bit more proactive and like, hey, hey let's have a, a national night out and you invite people over, do some cheap hot dogs or whatever, you can easily get to meet some of your neighbors if you haven't before. In Texas, if you're listening from Texas, uh, Texas does it a little bit different. It seems like we do everything a little bit different. Uh, it's the first Tuesday in October. And so uh, that's something to, to kind of consider and to think about. But those are ways that, I think you can meet people in your neighborhood very easily without sharing, you know, that you're a prepper, that you think that, you know, times are going to get tough and you have food and supplies stored up. 
Um, Mick, I'm going to kick it over to you. What do you think? How can we reach out to a neighbor or the neighbors that we want to get to know a little bit better? Well, that's one of the things I kind of ponder about. Uh, my neighbors aren't particularly close um, physically, so we don't cross paths a whole lot. Uh, but I do keep in mind that if uh, things did go bad, grid down or some other crisis where we're all in lockdown or something, that these are the people I'm going to be stuck with. And unlike the church, we don't have any particular commonality other than that we live on the same street. So I have to sort of set aside my curmudgeonly loneliness and uh, go and talk to the nice people. Uh, but, you know, making little conversations, waving as they drive by, try to be the friendly neighbor, if nothing else. But there's other opportunities, like my one neighbor was out leaf blowing leaves off of his driveway, so I could walk over and chat a little bit. We talked about a zoning board meeting. I mean, there's there's things you can talk about that you've got in common, but, you know, try to start with a basis of or a foundation of being the friendly neighbor, as opposed to that cranky old man that says, you kid, just get off my lawn. You know, you don't want to be that guy. So uh, if things do go south, then at least you've got a uh, a foundation of cordiality. But I also use the opportunity when I'm, I mean, it sounds like I'm spying on them CS or CIA style, but, you know, just seeing what they're doing, knowing a little bit more about them. I've got one neighbor who's pretty obviously a gun enthusiast. That Well, that's good to know. I've got another neighbor who's uh, a lot more... DIY self-sufficient. I mean, he's got a, a little Kubota tractor and he's always doing something with his little tractor. So, you know, I have a little more of a handle on him. The other neighbor is much more of the suburban professional where he's got a wife and two kids. He goes off to work every day and wife gets him on the bus for school, etc. So, you know, they're, they're in different places, but just getting to know your neighbors so that you know who they are. You now that's, you got to start with that. <clears throat> Good point. Good stuff. What about you, Brian? Well, those are good points. Um, one thing you can do, and I brought this up. I don't remember if it was <laughs> we're doing so many videos. I don't remember where I mentioned this. But you could shoot at your neighbor, and you would get a good idea if they are a gun enthusiast or not. So when I accidentally put a hole in my front door, I had to go to my neighbor across the street and make sure I didn't kill somebody so when i had to kill them but when when they're when they're like yeah everybody's okay i don't see any holes or anything what kind of gun and then they bring you into your house and show you their collection and it's like wow i had no clue so that's that's one way to meet your neighbors shoot at their house um no no brian we don't want to do that <laughs> okay well i guess i should <laughs> but then um i i'm i'm not a i'm not a people person, but I'm also uh, all right with, you know, somebody moves into the neighborhood and, you know, they come over and ask for, a, you know, a, a specific wrench or something. And, you know, and next thing you know, you're, you're out in the garage talking to them for a few minutes. It doesn't take but a few minutes to learn, to get an idea if that's somebody that may or may not fit with your outlook, you know, and, couple of questions you know it, it doesn't have to be political but it could be or or you know freedom or if they start talking about yeah there's too many this or that on the street and we gotta crack down that kind of thing 
and then maybe you can take that into a backyard barbecue. You don't have to take them into your, you know, give them a pantry tour or anything like that. You don't have to talk about prepping. You can just get a feel for it um, and just see if you generally get along with those people, your neighbors, and see if it, it you can develop a friendship. Not with the ulterior motive of, you know, bringing them into a, a prep, prepper group, but just knowing your neighbors, you know, knowing them and their children and keeping an eye on one another is a huge benefit. You know, um, like Spirko likes to say, in good times or bad, you know, when, when, uh, you know, when somebody sees somebody lurking around in your backyard and you're at work and they have your phone number and like, Hey, uh, are those people supposed to be in your backyard? And, yeah. I hired them to, you know, take some tree limbs down. That's, you know, that's a benefit to us. And, um, we, we've got to uh, develop a little bit of a relationship before we bring them. What was that one movie? Uh, meet, meet the parents before we bring them into the fold. <laughs> oh no. Into the circle. So we, we don't want to just bring in everybody into our circle all willy nilly and stuff. We want to get to know them and you can't do that by uh, staring out the window, you know, through the crack in the, in the blinds and seeing who's staring at your property or something when they drive by too slow. You know, get out there and wave at them. Hey, how you doing? And, and that also lets them know that, you know, there's, there's real people living there. It's just not, you know, a building, you know, so. Yeah, I think about my son was just telling me about his neighbors. He's much more in a suburban development. And, uh, you know, the lady behind him, he says she's really friendly. They stand and talk when they're going out for walks. The other neighbor is kind of, uh, uh accident prone so things tend to happen and he needs help a lot uh not the i've fallen and can't get up it's just anyway uh but the other neighbor he refers to them as the cia agents because they almost never see them and if they do see them they don't wave and they just drive away i mean that's the kind of neighbor that you're probably not going to turn to and uh things get difficult because you don't know them and you don't trust them so i guess the advice from my son is don't be the CIA neighbor. Very good. Hey, I do want to remind everyone that um, I think it was about a year ago, I did release a five-day build your own prepper group challenge. It's uh, completely run through email. And so it, uh, it's email, but it's it's little short videos to give you ideas of how you can build your, your own preparedness group. And so uh, if you want to sign up for that, um, I'll have a link in the description and you can sign up for that. And like I said, you'll get a, a video a day to help you to uh, look at your neighborhood and look at the world that you're in and to help you build your own prepper group. And so uh, I'll definitely link to that as well as linking to a couple of the other things that are there. Mick, do you want to share really quickly about the link that you're going to provide? Yeah, I uh, did a blog post on my uh, piglet to pork chop experience just for people who haven't done anything like that. I mean, if you live on a farm and you do it all the time, you go, well, duh. But if you haven't, well, this is that's what it was like for me. So it describes that uh, community experience and uh, raise, of raising the pigs and then processing them yourself. And I even had to get my roll my sleeves up and learn how to make sausage. So. And there's, there's quite a bit of DIY in it. So yeah, there's a link to that blog post. Cool. And Brian, what about you? 
Well, I can invite everybody to go to Next Step Survival. I'm a little bit more active on there right now, but I don't really have a uh, particular article. What, what, what about the, the Prepper Party? When when do you when is that going to be ready to go? Theprepperparty.com. It's actually up right now. The, the, you have to put the in there. It's crazy, but now they, they want like 10 grand or something for prepperparty.com. And it's not even registered. They just consider it a premium domain. It's crazy. Anyway, theprepperparty.com. It's up there now, but there's only a few um, events on there. I would like somebody to go on there and try to um, post an event and see if it's actually, yeah, because it's supposed to have that functionality, but I haven't tested that yet other than when I'm logged in. So that would be beneficial to me. But um, yeah, it's not really right launch ready right now but yeah i am working on it it's turned into be a another project that i needed like a hole in my head or another hole in my head and a uh, way more work than i than i had originally thought i thought a lot of that stuff would be uh a lot simpler it will be once once it more and more people go in there and add things and all i have to do is be an admin but right now i'm still trying to develop and and organize the site and that that's a little bit of work um okay. i did want to bring up uh one thing though if it's okay are we short on time no no go ahead so i just wanted to bring it back around to how we started and i do have a youtube channel and there'll probably be a link to that too but i don't do a lot of videos i'm getting back into that and what my biggest video was a prepper pantry speaking of showing the world you're you know you're your preps i did a pantry tour and that was by far my largest video <clears throat> and i think i got a thousand or two thousand commenters on there by far the biggest negative um comment that i got was you're crazy to put this out people are going to come and steal your food and that's even in you know like right now in 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 the good times that's not when the chips are down so you know in an shtf event or anything people literally believe that somebody's going to kick my door down and come into my house and take my cans of corn they're going to pass up the $50,000 pickup truck in the driveway and the 70 inch tv set and all the other things in the house that everybody else down the street's got and they're going to go into my pantry and take my cases of corn and <laughs> it's just amazing that mentality so i just wanted to bring that around real quick and say we might need to reel back a little bit on the paranoia paranoia because i don't really think we're that in that and and i'm you know we're exposed a little bit more than the average person so if you're just you know using some common sense and and using some of the measures that we took with trying to gain trust and to get to know your your neighbor, I don't think that there's really that much risk in eventually letting select people understand that you're into a little bit of preparedness and that you lead a lifestyle of uh, of um, not paranoia, but trying to build a community and bring them, you know into doing some shared events or something. So I just want to, I just want to bring that little paranoia thing that we have as a community back around real quick. Yeah. I, th I think that's a good point. And um, there, uh, it, it goes back to 
somewhere along the line, there's there's some myths and things out there that um, that have been just I don't know foundational in in the preparedness community, and we really need to start you know looking at that again. You know, even when you had you know, China that was completely locked down, and people are starting to protest over there. Um, you didn't, you didn't have that. You didn't, you know, people are protesting against the government. People are protesting against something else. They're not going into people's homes. And even, I mean, they are hungry. They, they, they don't have the food like we have. And, um, that, that was, that was crazy nuts, but people weren't going into each other's homes trying to find food. Um, they were upset at the government and things like that. I think by the time it gets to a point where people are really going door to door looking for food, there's not going to be any food left. If we're really ever in that kind of a situation, Mad Max, zombies, whatever you want to, I think by that time, everything's going to be gone, right? I mean, it's, it's hopefully you would find uh, like a, a bunker, like a, uh, like the guy finds in in the movie, the road, you know, and he, uh, he finds one that's completely stocked that somebody forgot about. Hopefully that's what you would find, but I think for the most part, everything is going to be gone, but that's just me. All right, guys. Hey, I'm going to go ahead and end it there. I appreciate you taking the time to uh, share your thoughts on uh, on building community in the, in the preparedness community and, and reaching out to our neighbors and to the people that are out there. This is such a big topic. We could continue going on and on and we can go so many different routes, but uh, I appreciate you taking this time. So with that, I'm going to go ahead and end it. Thanks so much, guys. Well, everyone, that is it for episode 770. Big thank you again to Mick and Brian for coming on this roundtable with me and sharing a little bit about how to get our communities better prepared. Hey, guys, don't forget to check out the links that I mentioned at the beginning of this episode. Uh, The one from Mick, the one from Brian, the the other one that I shared that goes to the blog post and the the one that Brian shared about his new website. And then also don't forget about the the five days to build your own prepper group challenge. Um, That link is going to be in the description or in the show notes as well. Hey, if you find this episode valuable, I really would appreciate a review wherever you listen to podcasts. I want to say thank you to the reviews that I recently received. Greatly appreciate that. Hey, and if you haven't subscribed, make sure you click the subscribe button in your favorite podcast app. And that way you never miss another episode of Sweet Prepper Goodness. And if you would like to support Ready Your Future, you can visit readyyourfuture forward slash support or, and that's readyyourfuture.com forward slash support or check the link in the show notes. Lastly, don't forget to join the email list if you haven't. When you do, I'm going to send you my blackout checklist to know what you should do before, during, and after the lights go out. As I'm recording this, there's 500,000 people, it's reported, 500,000 people in California without electricity, without power right now. So uh, hopefully you know what to do in a blackout. And with that, choose to live a more self-reliant life. Choose not to be so dependent on the government, grid, or the grind. Until next time, live with no regrets and stay prepped and aware. Peace.